Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We continue our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Some very specific teaching on a very specific subject today. It's going to be a little different than normal. That's fine. It's God's word. And we will read it and learn from it. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we pray that you would help us as we come to this passage that is difficult. It's about an issue that is pretty pervasive in our society. It's a kind of a cultural norm, and it's a hurtful thing for many people in here one way or another. And so as we learn more about your teachings here, we pray that you would help us, that you would not only give us wisdom, but that you would also give us grace to to hear, to learn, to be healed in our hearts, that you would give us rest. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read this as I read this passage, it made me think of a game that kids and adults like to play, and it's called the what-if game. I uh, call it that, but you can really call it lots of things, it kind of lots of ways to categorize it, but really it ultimately has to do with how close can you get to getting in trouble without doing anything wrong. I get to play this a lot in my classroom, actually, with uh, little 14-year-olds and they're so smart, you know, they have so much to offer me. And it's always good to hear what their thoughts are on these things. You've probably played this game with your own people. You've probably played this game yourself at some point, too. You've had it played to you, definitely, both ways. It goes that way. We play it as adults, even. You know, it goes on something like this. Well, you said we need to sit still. What if, what if we have to breathe? All right. What if you have to breathe? You said stop talking, but what if he talks to me? Are you wanting me to be impolite? All right. When adults play it, it's a lot more serious. You know, well, what if they cut me off on the road? Don't I have the right to do something to them now? Or what if I don't love him anymore? Then can I leave him? In this last situation, we're going to spend our time on today as we're dealing with the issue of divorce. Jesus' teachings on divorce come in a time when he is leaving Galilee for good and begins to march toward the city of Jerusalem, which will mean his death. He also offers us his teaching that really serves as a rebuttal to the tricks of the Pharisees here because they, you know, they have their own bag of what-if tricks. When it comes to divorce, people really like to play that what-if game, which I think is kind of asking the wrong questions. Jesus, rather than engage in that game, instead takes us back to the beginning, to the original institution of marriage. Rather than talk about how close he can get to the edge without sinning, he deals with the root of the issues. He brings us back to a proper understanding of marriage itself. Divorce is when a marriage goes wrong. So in order to prevent divorce, 
You don't talk about divorce. You talk about marriage. Jesus does that for us here. And at the same time, I think he shows us the heart of our own hearts, his disciples' hearts, the Pharisees' hearts. It exposes our hearts. It teaches us that this isn't simply about marriage, but it's ultimately about the authority of God's word in our life and in our practice as believers. And so with that, as we come to the text, I want to break it into two main ideas, what man separates and then what God joins together. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1 through verse 12. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house. The disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So between here and where we left off at the end of chapter 9, there's an there's isn't really an obvious cohesion here between the two passages other than the fact that Jesus is teaching in both of them. Jesus leaves Galilee, heads towards Jerusalem, begins working through the region of Judea as he goes and ultimately is going to have his, you know, what we call the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, which begins at in chapter 11. He's going to face lots of opposition. By this point in his ministry, he's kind of there. They're already figuring out a way, his opposition, they're figuring out a way to trap him and ultimately arrest him and have him killed. The religious leaders of the day had seen enough. They were ready for Jesus to be dealt with, ultimately be dealt with. And so we see in this passage today, these rulers are questioning Jesus about divorce. So consider the historical context a little bit. Women in those days did not necessarily have a very high status in society, Men could divorce their wives for just about any reason. They could just come up with anything. And if the man thought he was finished with her, he could divorce her, which would leave her penniless a lot of times, unable to support herself. The man was free to marry again, oftentimes without any social stigma, whereas the woman, because of that social stigma, she may have been free to marry again, but would have that opposite kind of problem. She would have that stigma on her and wouldn't necessarily be able to do that. So there would, there would be poverty and everything that kind of comes along with that. Not a good deal. So what we see with Jesus' teaching here is not only in a correction of the way that, that the Pharisees saw those divorce commandments that Moses gave there. And, you know, I use the word commandments kind of 
lightly, but this would also bring some dignity to the women of the time and set the men of that time in their place concerning this teaching. And so that brings us to the first point, what man separates. Look with me again at verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, Jesus enters into this region, and as was his custom, he taught them, and the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus, and he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And so in order to properly deal with this passage, what we need to do now is we actually need to go and look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is the passage that the Pharisees are quoting from and that Jesus is also going to quote from. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Very similar kind of context. Hundreds of years earlier, obviously. Let me read these verses here. Verses 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs from his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. All one big sentence. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So, there's Moses' teaching from where the Pharisees are quoting. A little context here. Divorce was happening among the people of Israel when Moses wrote these words. It was something that was occurring. And it was occurring among the people of God, not just among the pagan nations. This is one of those times, I think, when God is giving laws here, giving a teaching concerning something. It's not, he's giving it concerning the thing that's already happening among the people. He's not commanding that this happen. Notice there's no command here to write a certificate. It just says that when he does this thing, when this happens, this is what you are to do. Not you are to do this. In fact, the laws of God should steer people away from the need to ever do that. Jesus quotes from Genesis. That's way before what we read here in Deuteronomy. And so those laws, not committing adultery, loving others before or more than you love yourself, all these things should even keep this from ever happening. But because that's happening, this is what you should do. That's basically what's going on here. There's no teaching that a man should write a certificate of divorce if he's found some indecency in his wife. Now, let's talk about that word, indecency. This word here in the Hebrew literally means nakedness. Now, we have to go a little deeper. It's being used in this sense to talk about some sort of shame or blemish. 
And that's not to say some sort of physical thing, but really anything that the man deemed to be imperfect about his wife. There's even something in the Hebrew literature about her not preparing supper correctly. Kind of crazy. So when the Pharisees ask this question of Jesus, what does, when Jesus says, what does Moses say? And the Pharisees quote this. What's actually going on here is what they're trying to get out of Jesus is what is considered indecent according to Moses. What does he, what does he consider indecent? They've missed the whole point about what Moses is writing here, right? The Lord says you shall not bring upon any sin upon this land. They're missing the whole point about what he's writing about. This certificate of divorce permits this this woman to remarry, thus giving her some dignity in the situation. So the situation that Moses lays out here is a strange one. He paints this picture of a man, think about it, a man divorces his wife and then she goes and marries another man and that man divorces her too or that man dies and then the first husband tries to remarry her and then Moses says no can't do that that's an abomination she has been defiled what does that mean she can't remarry to do this would be like committing adultery Jesus affirms this in verses 11 and 12 back in Mark chapter 10 when the disciples ask him again about this matter He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and remarries commits adultery against her. And he he goes on. And so this is like committing adultery. And so when we read Deuteronomy 24, we aren't reading about God being permissive concerning divorce. We have to be careful with that. We're reading about God intervening in a divorce culture. Helping the people understand that it shouldn't be this way. To do so results in sins against marriage, which is an abomination to the Lord. He won't stand for it. As a quick aside to this, this is, I just realized I opened this giant can of worms. So as a quick aside, Jesus gives a lawful reason for divorce in Matthew 19. He says that when adultery has been committed, this is the kind of the companion passage to Mark 10. When adultery has been committed, it's okay to divorce, and I hate to even use that word, it's okay, because, but it's, it's permissive, it's permitted. Paul gives another reason in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, talks about the unbeliever abandoning this, their believing spouse, and then it being okay. After 10 years in full-time ministry, and all my years here in Murray, working at the school, and working here, and counseling couples and people, and dealing with this sort of thing, particularly the abandonment issue in many, many forms, it creates lots of difficult situations. Lots. We can talk through this in Sunday school. I've actually decided to deal with this issue in Sunday school today, looking at 1 Corinthians 7 in particular, and we can look at some of the other passages as well. Too much to parse through for this sermon, and so we'll deal with question and answers, and I think that would be appropriate for our Sunday school time. Back to Mark chapter 10. Notice Jesus' response to the Pharisees when they seem to think that it was Moses that is giving them permission to divorce for whatever reason. Notice his response. Jesus said to them, verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. 
because of your hardness of heart. It's the same word that we find when Moses says to the people later in Deuteronomy, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. It's the exact same word. Jesus was there when Moses wrote those words to that stiff-necked people with uncircumcised heart. These are the very son, are the very words of the Son of God given to Moses. The same Son of God who stands here before the Pharisees and his own people and others teaching this. You can almost get this sense that Jesus is having this flashback even as he talks to the Pharisees, that he remembers those times from the wilderness as he says this, you stiff-necked and stubborn people. Well, so what does he mean? They were a people that were already practicing divorce. They didn't see the marriage was sacred at all. They saw it as something that you kind of played at, that gave you certain things for a certain amount of time, and that when you were finished, you could put it away and you could find another one that served your interests. Marriage was about money or pleasure rather than being a union that was glorifying to God in its very essence. In Moses' day, marriage had become something that people entered into without giving much thought as to the amount of effort that it would take to make it work. Rather than put any work in it, they just found some indecency, whatever they deemed it to be, and then tried again with somebody else. Does that sound familiar to you today? Divorce is a horrible thing. Working at the school, I think, has shown me that more than anything as I work with kids all day, and I see that on their faces. I talk to them about the struggles that they have. They, you know, school is not the most important thing when the life is at home is kind of crumbling. It's taking a thing that God has joined together, and it's tearing it apart. And that break is never a clean one. Every time, it's because one or both people in the marriage decided that it was to place their own needs, their own desires above those of their partner, and they decided to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Every time. I've stopped being surprised by it, unfortunately. That's a sad thing because it's become so rampant, even among God's people. Though divorce rates are actually down right now from their peak, it was more in the early 80s and 90s when you saw that peak. Part of the reason, though, the reason that divorce is down is because marriage is also down. Marriage rates are down. At the end of the day, it's not the praise of divorce that causes divorce. It's the condemnation of marriage that causes it. Whether it be on a broader scale, which is what we see, I think, in society more and more, or individually at home. That brings us to the point of what God joins together. And so in order to teach the Pharisees about divorce, notice Jesus doesn't expound more on Moses here. It would have been nice had he done so for us. But instead, Jesus teaches them about marriage. When someone asks, when can I divorce my wife? They are asking the wrong question. They're playing this what-if game rather than asking the right question, which is, how can I save my marriage? Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis. Going back to Genesis typically fixes most things. Look with me at verses 6 through 9. 
This is again Jesus. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is to be between a man and a woman. That's what we learn here. Marriage In marriage, the man is to leave his parents and hold fast to his wife. Same for the wife. And they are to become one flesh. Now this term, hold fast here, is an interesting one. It's used here and in only one other place in the New Testament, which we're going to quote from in a second, in Ephesians 5. The word denotes almost like two interlocking pieces coming together and locking together permanently, not the kind of thing that you can undo. You could undo it, but you would have to break a lot of things in order for them to be undone. It represents a permanent kind of bonding. Any attempt to separate them would damage both pieces. I see this in woodworking, actually. If you glue two boards together, the wood glue is actually stronger than the wood itself. The wood glue soaks into the wood. The wood swells up out of the glue, and the two pieces join together. And the bond is strong. In fact, it doesn't need screws or nails or anything at that point. The bond itself is stronger than the wood it is joining together. If you go to break those two pieces of wood apart, the glue will actually stay intact. It's the wood that gets destroyed. And that's why when Jesus says here, what God has joined together, let no man separate as if they could, cleanly. The union between man and woman is so strong and so sacred that it lasts the rest of their lives. And though the bond is strong, the people that make it are weak. They are a stiff-necked people. That's talking about us in here. And so how do we, as weak people, combat this? If I know that the weakest part of my marriage is me, then what do I need to do? I need to daily work on it. I need to constantly be checking it. I need to make sure that it's stable and secure. I have to do this. I have to secure it. I have to support it. I have to make sure it is being strengthened. I have to make sure my spouse is also being strengthened. We can't simply meet in the middle. Go halfway. We have to go all the way. We have to be completely joined to each other. Marriage requires daily input, daily sacrifice. It's not just playing house together. Instead, what we see is as soon as things get hard, people just want to leave. This is hard. We don't, we don't get along. It's hard. Or as soon as someone else maybe is more Attractive, we want to leave. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This is going to bring it all together for us, I think. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 22. 
And we'll read through verse 33. And I want you to look at this. There's a whole lot here. And I mean, we could spend several weeks on just this passage alone. But what I want you to look at is I just talked about how marriage is something that you have to work at. The weak portion of our marriage is us, not the bond itself. And so what I want you to see as I read this is the work that is having to be done to that extent. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. There it is again. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I don't want to get into, again, what submit means and all that business. We could spend a whole lot of time going through this. But I, again, I want to show us how Paul's teachings align with Jesus's marriage isn't just a passive kind of thing. Women have an active role toward their husband. Men have an active role toward their wives. And notice the example that Paul uses to shore up all of this teaching. It's the relationship between Jesus and his church. Don't you know that as Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and later his disciples there in Mark 10, that he has this in mind as he's teaching them about marriage. The marriage relationship here is both individuals working at it and in it in order to make the other better than they were. Not to set them aside for some indecency that we get to define. In fact, they look upon those indecencies and they love the other person in spite of them. Knowing full well that they have their own indecencies. No one hates his own flesh, but nourishes it just as Christ does the church. Then Paul quotes from Genesis about man and woman holding fast, saying that this It's the exact same relationship, this holding fast to one another that Jesus has with his people. It's a strong bond. It's an unbreakable bond. Except the big difference, of course, in the bond that we have with Jesus is one that even when one party may let go from time to time, as we are all wont to do, he holds us strong. Though we, may also, though we may not always want to be better, we may want to stay in our sin. Jesus works on us anyway. He plans to see us through to completion. Though we were once dead in our trespasses, Jesus will present us to the Father 
holy and without blemish. Not because he's cleaned us up for a time, but because he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has nailed them to the cross. He not only that, as he has given me his righteousness so that I'm, when I'm presented to the father, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what it means when he presents me holy and without blemish. That I might be able to stand before a holy God as holy because of what Jesus did for me. Were I to be set aside for some indecency, Jesus would hand me a certificate of divorce every single day, a hundred times a day for the rest of my life. Because I'm never going to be decent until I'm with him in glory. It's because of him that I am called decent. It's because of what he has done for me. He persists and he loves us even when we are unlovable. When we look at the picture of Christ and how much he loves his church, it should show us how we ought to love one another, how we should love our spouse. When we look at our failings in marriage and our struggles, it should remind us of the grace of God toward us as individuals. And so in conclusion, pray for the marriages in this room that God would keep them safe. That God would work in the individuals in this room that are married and that they would work together, that they would work on their marriages. Pray for the future marriages in this room. Lord willing, there are lots of them. That God would join what what God would join together. No man would break apart. And pray for the lost world that as they look at the church, they would see a people who loves one another's as Christ loves his church and they would be drawn to us because of that, not because of that, but because that Christ would draw them to himself, that he would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus name. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we hear from you on this difficult teaching, I stand convicted. We all do. Because we've all wanted to see ourselves as better than we are. So Lord, help us when it comes to our marriages, that we would work on them that you would be glorified in them. And Lord, help us when it comes to our relationship with you, that you would grow us more and more to you, that we would cling ever more to you, that we would hold fast to you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.